I despise Facebook. I, I really despise all social media. I hate spending time on it. It's like a net negative in my life. This was my first impression of Tim Stoddart, and I was hooked. If you're feeling frustrated and discouraged by the lack of engagement by relying solely on social media posts, you're not alone. But you, like me, might be taking the wrong approach. Tim says long-form content is king, and he should know. He's the CEO of Copyblogger, and he writes prolifically. If you've been struggling to make an impact through short-form content, this interview is a must-listen. Here are some of the things to look for. Some would make you believe that people don't have the attention spans for long-form content due to lack of interest. Tim disagrees. Why would you want to go after people who aren't interested in what you're doing in the first place? Tim is also a prolific reader, which is the source of all of his ideas for his own writing. He says reading enables me to bounce ideas back and forth. And he even shares the five books that created his quote-unquote lexicon of thinking. Finally, he talks about building in public. He doesn't like the term building in public and much prefers to say that he's documenting his journey. Because there's no debating your own experience. And if you share your experience, you give people into insight into how you work and you build your personal brand, which Tim says is incredibly important. I loved this interview. Tim is generous and he is a wealth of information, so much so that I decided to make the usually members-only extended version of this episode available for everybody. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do like it, consider becoming a member over at casabona.org slash join. But for now, let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. Welcome to episode what 323. I'm here with Tim Stoddart the CEO of Copyblogger, and as we speak, the sole owner of Copyblogger. This is not like breaking news because it's happened a few months ago now, but Tim, welcome to the show. First of all, before I start talking too much, thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed getting to spend some time with you in Boise the other weekend, so I'm, I'm thrilled that we can sit down and chat. Likewise. I was really excited to see you there. Uh, we had connected briefly at CEX, and I'll just say like right off the bat, like shout out to Chanel Basilio and Kat Mulvihill. I don't usually go to a lot of talks at conferences, right? Like, cause I go to like the word, I'm mostly used to going to word camps, right? I'm sure you've been to word camps. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> I guess I just assume like copy blogger is like a strictly WordPress thing when it's really not at all. It is. I just don't go to events. <laughs> uh, well, not to be mean or anything, but most talks at word camps are not great because. You know, it's mostly volunteers and they don't get to spend as much time on their talks as maybe they would like. So I usually just hang out in the hallway. But Kat and Chanel were like, you should really go to Tim's talk. I think it's going to be good for you. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we sat down. Austin Church was with us. Two minutes into your talk, Austin leans over and goes, 
this talk feels like it was tailor-made for you. And I'm like, yeah, it really did. Because you just talked about like social media and email in in a way that feels very countercultural. And so I think you started off with like, you hate Facebook, right? Or you don't want to be on Facebook anymore? I despise Facebook. I, I really despise all social media. I hate spending time on it. It's like a net negative in my life. Yeah. (laughs) I really felt that way for a long time. I actually was not on Twitter at CEX until Justin Moore told me like, you've got to be on Twitter if you want to coach people. So I went back on Twitter and like, I engage a little bit there, but it's like, did you tweet this the other day? Like lots of work on muting stuff today. Was that you? That was me. Yes. I'm an active muter. In Twitter, I like to keep my feed drama and anxiety free. Yeah, likewise, aggressively mute. And this was like, I was talking to somebody else and they were like, hey, who should I follow? Like right now, my feed is just like whiny American politics. And I'm like, let me share my mute filter. Like, let me share the very long page of things I've muted over the years. So like, I don't see any of that stuff anymore. I think that's great. And so one of the things that you talked through is like your kind of flywheel for posting on social media. And the fact that it starts with blog posts, I really like this because I feel like short form has kind of screwed me over the last year. Like I really focused on only short form instead of like really pumping out long form content, which I think I'm better at. So can you tell us a little bit more about your writing process, like how you come up with ideas for blog posts and and how that fits into your weekly or daily schedule? I think I'm always going to believe that long form is a much better What's the word for it? Like pound for pound, you get more bang for your buck, basically, when you invest your time into long form. There's a guy named Ramit Sethi who is pretty famous. A lot of people know him. And years and years ago, it was probably like nine years ago at this point, when I was working on my first website, it was called Sober Nation. I was going through a lot of the same stuff where I was building like a huge Facebook following. And the Facebook was getting a ton of traffic, but it wasn't necessarily converting into anything. And maybe it was on Twitter. I can't even remember where I read it. Maybe it was an email or something. The gist of it, I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but the gist of it was, hey, Ramit, why do you spend so much time writing sales pages and writing blog posts if most people don't read the whole thing? And so they says, well, you know who does read the whole thing? And he goes, who? He's like, buyers. I was like, huh. Like That makes a lot of sense. Like Why wouldn't I just go directly after the people who are actually interested in the higher level concepts that long form writing in particular, but also podcasts and and even videos, like just higher level, more articulated arguments or concepts or ideas. Why wouldn't I just speak directly to them instead of pretending like everybody is too stupid and have too short attention spans to spend seven to eight, maybe God forbid, even 10 minutes reading an article, you know? So that's the game that I've played all of these years. And I'm, I'm really happy I stuck with it. In terms of like, where do I get my ideas from it? I got to tell you, I, I don't have a good system of like idea creation. I, I read a lot. I really think that that has a big thing to do with it. But when I was a kid, really like one of the only rules I can ever remember having in my household was that I had to read a half an hour every day. Even since I was little, I, I've, I've always gotten up pretty early. And I remember really, really distinctively like getting up at dawn in the house I grew up with that had like the big old school heater vents, like the big square metal ones, you know, and my room was right above the actual heater. And I grew up in Philly in the Northeast. And so like in the wintertime, 
I just so distinctively remember waking up early, sitting right by my heater vent with a book, like Goosebumps, you know, like R.L. Stein. And so it was just like a big part of my life for as long as I can remember. And no one's ever like directly asked me that question before. But I think if I had to answer it, I would say that I read every day and I have for the vast majority of my life. And so I, I think that it is reading that enables me to continuously bounce ideas back and forth in my head until eventually I come up with something worth writing about for that week. That's such a great point, right? Because like, I think a lot of people spend too much time in echo chambers and only consume content that can like directly benefit them in their job. And we're recording out of time a little bit, but I had another interview today with a guy named Andy who says like one of the things he does is read books that are not in his professional world. And that gives him ideas for what he can write about, which is, I think that's super great. Also, I live in Westchester, Pennsylvania now. So I'm from New York originally, but my wife's family is from around here. So I guess if you're familiar with the area, specifically Downingtown, which Donald Trump famously called a shithole back in 2016. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. (laughs) Bad things happen in Philadelphia. And then the very next day, the entire city was like littered with shirts of gritty. Just the whole front of the t-shirt was gritty. And it just said, bad things happen in Philadelphia. <laughs> I was like, that's like the most perfect thing you could do to that city is to give them an excuse to make a gritty t-shirt that says bad things happen here. <laughs> As a quick side quest, I'll never forget this. Like when they revealed or unveiled gritty, the entire city of Philly was like, this looks terrible. And then the rest of the country was like, that is terrible. And Philly was like, how dare you? (laughs) Exactly. I love Gritty. He's like one of my favorite things ever. (laughs) He cracks me up. I love him. (laughs) Amazing. We, um, in the WordPress space, like there's the WAPU thing and you have like custom localized ones for the WordCamps. And we did like a Gritty WAPU for WordCamp Philly one year. (laughs) Awesome. I like this, right? It's very simple. You read a lot and it helps you generate ideas. And then when you sit down, you're ready to write and think about stuff. Now, you are the CEO of Copy Blogger, but you also have a couple of other, like you have the Sober Nation website. Is there anything else that I'm missing here? This is what I have in your bio, but like, do you have any other personal blogs or anything like that? Just Tim Stodds. I mean, there's a, a bunch of other websites that my team and I have built and manage and own. And it's basically a media company at this point, almost like a holdings company. But in terms of the work that I personally do, mostly timstods.com. And I've just started getting to the point now that I have a month and a half or so under my belt of full management of Copyblogger, just getting to the point where I'm publishing there as well. But there are two, even though the content is similar, the style of writing is very, very different. Whereas Copyblogger is just strictly educational. It's pretty technical. It's for the people who want to learn. Whereas on my personal blog, a lot of what I do really is write about my own adventures in business, in marketing, in sales, even just like insecurities or ideas that I'm going with. I really... I don't really like the term build in public because that feels like, you know, if I make a sale, I post a screenshot of the sale and it's like, hey, look how much money I made. You can make this much money too, right? Nothing, there's anything necessarily wrong with that. It's just not the avenue that I choose to go. I like to think of it more as like I'm documenting my journey, I'm sharing my experience, 
when people talk about this inside the Coffee Blogger Academy, when we're looking for content ideas, the thing that I always tell them is like, don't teach, share your experience. Don't come up with with topics, just share your experience. And that's really what I do on Tim Stodd's, my personal blog, more than anywhere else. But that's also, it's not the biggest following, but it's the people that know me the best because, you know, it's my own name. I think people engage with that pretty well. I like that. I also love the framing, right? Documenting your journey because you see the, I don't know if you follow Kehi on Twitter. He's fantastic, right? So he said like he just got to 40,000 followers without threadboying, which is like my favorite term in the world now. I'm just going to use it for like the next three months whenever I can. But it's like you see these thread boys with an eye for those who don't know, right? It's got to be thread boy with an eye. And they're like, here's what you need to do. Like, wake up, don't shower, start working in the first 30 minutes. And I'm like, don't shower. Like, is that, yeah, you're going to tell me that like I'm going to build a million dollar business by not showering? Like, what? that's such terrible advice. <laughs> and then like later, like when people push back, he's like, well, this is just what's worked for me. And I'm like, I know that's a bad hook, but like it's disingenuous to be like, get all this work done by waking up at 5 a.m. and not showering and working three hours straight or whatever. Just drives me crazy. I agree. It makes it so... I had a mentor tell me once, which is really where I came up with this concept. He said, I don't have advice to give you. I just have experience to share. And what's important about that is there's no actual debating experience. Somebody can't say that you're right or wrong or that they agree with you or you're stupid or that you're even smart. It's just, this is my experience. And if you can learn something from it, great. If not, then it's not for you. And that's not a big deal. And so regardless of what kind of content I'm creating, like coincidentally, live by some of those things. I definitely shower, but I've always woken up really early. You know, like I'm one of the weirdos that takes freezing cold showers. I've done it for years. I think the application for me has been that I don't care if you do what I do and I don't have anything to sell you about doing what I do. This is just what I do. And if you like it, then follow along. And if you don't, that's fine too. Yeah. I don't have anything to sell you. I think this is the part, right? Because like there's, I don't want to like talk smack on anybody, right? But like, and so I'm not going to name names. There's someone who's like, oh, last year I wrote eight books and this year I'm going to write 16. And I'm like, 16, like these are just going to be crappy books. Like there's no way around it. But like this person also sells like a cohort where he tells people how to write at volume. And I'm like, okay, so like what you're doing is kind of, it feels disingenuous. That's the thread boying stuff I don't like, where I feel like your approach, what like I really liked about your CEX talk is like, you're just like, this is how I do it. And this works for me and I like it and I hate social media. So I try to minimize my time there. Thanks. I don't know how else to be. Yeah. I've always been like, just, uh, a little bit overly honest. Yeah, that's the Philly in you, right? That's like East Coast, like Northeast. Yeah. We don't have time to not be direct, right? <laughs> My wife and I lived in Nashville for a couple of years. And it was like one of the things that we noticed, and this is culturally, by the way, I don't think like one way is better than the other, but people exchange like politeness and pleasantries for directness as opposed to the other way around. 
not being direct like makes me feel uncomfortable a lot of times. There were a bunch of times. For instance, I remember getting my car fixed on in this mechanic in Nashville. And I just remember thinking like, just tell me what. I don't care if it's bad news. Just tell me what. It took much longer than I, I usually have those kind of conversations, you know? So I agree. Like, I think directness is a, a form of respect. And I'm not rude. I'm not rude to anybody. Honestly, I think like being rude to people is kind of a waste of my time. I have better things to do than be mean to you. It's just the way that I like to communicate is always, this is what I've done. And this were the results of it. And if that works, great. And if not, totally fine. There's there's somebody else for you. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of, um. have you seen Colin Quinn's stand-up, A New York Story? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like, my parents grew up in Manhattan and we're Italian and he kind of goes through the whole history of New York. But one of the things he says is like, people think New Yorkers are rude. We're just trying not to waste your time, right? So when I walk in and I'm like, give me two slices, I'm really trying to move the line along so that I'm not wasting anybody's time. I feel like, why are you being so rude? I'm like, yeah, exactly, right? I would, if you like stand-up comedy, I strongly recommend it. It's really good. Now, despite hating social media, I think we all probably feel like there needs to be some presence on there. And so you have to borrow, I think, probably the most said term at Craft and Commerce this past year. You have your own kind of flywheel for how you create those posts. So I have the text in front of me, but this is not a test. So what do you do with your blog post to turn it into social media? Just chop it up. One of the things about social media, which I think creates a lot of anxiety for people, is to be successful on social media requires so much volume of content that they think they have to come up with something new all the time. And if you go through my Twitter feed, you'll notice that I say much of the same stuff. Sometimes I outright repeat myself. Not always. A lot of times it's just different variations of the same concept or maybe like a, a different way to look at it. But there's two lessons from that. One is that I think th- there's people that have different arguments with this, but I think it's better to be specific. I think it's better to be known to do something specific. And then as you can build a brand and build some awareness around your ideas, it's much easier to expand as opposed to start out being like a generalist or I don't even know what you would call it. Probably an influencer is the right word where you're just famous for being you, right? I think trying to start off that way is very, very difficult. And so from like a pragmatic standpoint, it's easier to specialize in a specific thing and then grow out from there. But also from a personal standpoint, because it is social media, Brian Clark, the founder of Copyblogger, and, and he's, he's one of my good friends. He's like a hero to me for a vast majority of my life, right? He said, you always have to remember that there is somebody reading your stuff for the first time. And so even though you think you're repeating yourself, it's the first time that somebody is going to see it. And if you continuously swap out your message and try to reinvent yourself with the ideas and the content that you're creating, then you're missing two opportunities. You're missing for the opportunity for you personally to connect with that person. And then you're also missing the opportunity for the person to connect with you on what it is that you believe in and and what you're actually trying to do. So that's always how I've approached it. And what does that have to do with blog posts, right? Well, even if you look at my blog, my personal blog, it's a lot of the same ideas. I've read probably like six or seven books that have shaped my whole 
let's call it like the lexicon of my thinking around business. Think and Grow Rich, probably the most influential one. The E-Myth by Robert Gerber. It really taught me about systems and I really loved that. Lynchpin by Seth Godin, probably the book that changed my life more than any. Rich Dad, Poor Dad taught me about wealth. Even though like Robert Kiyosaki is a, a bit of a nutcase, that book is an absolute classic. And like you really, really, everybody who's interested in being wealthy should read it because it, it taught me the difference between having money and having wealth, where having wealth means owning assets and having money just means having money. And like you can lose your money instantly, but your assets are always creating wealth for you. There's a couple more, but there's five or six or seven books that really have created the framework of what it is that I like to share with people and how I'm trying to apply those lessons in my own life and then basically just sharing the results. And so even though I'm taking a blog post and I'm chopping it down into, let's call them micro pieces of content, in reality, even the blog posts are different variations of a lot of the same ideas. And it helps me. When I write, it helps me think. And that's why I respect writers so much because great writers are great thinkers. And so if you can write well, you can think well. And in doing so, the writing is just as much a process of growth for me as much as it is a tool to brand myself, let's say. That's kind of the system that I just fell into. I didn't plan it. It's just what I do. I love to write. I created a way to make it much less complicated than it needs to be. There's a lot of really great stuff here. So first of all, Brian Clark, lots of respect for him, right? Like, I mean, he's like, I'm not going to say an OG, but he's kind of an OG in like the blogging space, maybe. You have to remember there's always someone reading your stuff for the first time. This is super important, right? The way that this idea was crystallized for me is someone was like, what's your open rate on your email newsletter. I'm like, all right, like 46%. Like, okay. And that's like good, right? Like usually it's around 30 or whatever. Now look at your last post, like on Twitter and look at how many people viewed it versus how many people interacted with it versus how many people follow you. And I'm like, yeah, this is, people are seeing just a tiny percentage of what I'm putting out or a tiny percentage of people, even in my orbit are seeing what I put out. So like, Publishing the same idea a bunch of times is, is fine. You're gaining new followers. Maybe you reword it in a way that resonates with them differently. On both Twitter and LinkedIn today, I published my, I feel like it's like quarterly. If you say people just want to hear the raw conversation, I think that it's lazy. And the way I framed it today was like, you can't be Joe Rogan. Like nobody can be Joe Rogan except Joe Rogan. So you can't do the things that Joe Rogan does because you don't have 11 million downloads per episode on an exclusive platform you know, that got more and different and even comments from the same people who probably forgot I wrote it. So like, I really like that. And then great writers are great thinking. Like getting into the habit of writing is I think one of the best things you can do for yourself. Like even if you don't publish it, right? But like writing, I write every morning like by hand on my Kindle scribe or an actual notebook. And then, I don't know, I write probably two or 3,000 words a day based on whatever I'm creating. Like you said, it helps me think. I'm with you. I think I would push back on something that you said. I mean, look, I don't go anywhere without my notebook. If I turn the camera, I got piles and piles of notebooks. It's just how I've been. I have basically documented my entire life by writing every morning and I do like an inventory every night as well. But I think that there's an important distinction, which is you do have to publish because if you don't publish, it doesn't count. It's a bad habit for people to create art 
in whatever it is that they're doing, whether they're, I don't know, making jewelry or a painter, or even if they're a lawyer, you know, like there's art in everything. It's the gift that you share with the world is basically art. And I don't think it helps anybody to keep all of your paintings in your closet. And I don't think it helps anybody to keep some of your best ideas hidden away in a filing cabinet. Sure, it's writing. And if the process of you doing that is just to unscatter your brain, cool. There's totally a place for that. I'm not saying that if you don't publish your writing that you're like a fraud. There's plenty of things that I write that I don't publish. In the world that we live in right now, way, way more of a problem to be invisible than it is to be ridiculed. And we're also scared of being ridiculed and we're also scared of putting our stuff out there. But in reality, not being ridiculed is way more dangerous. But it just doesn't feel that way because our brains are still hardwired to live in caves. And we think that being isolated and being kicked out of the tribe, like you're dead, basically. You get kicked out of the cave or you offend the chief and something eats you. Like you're alone in nature, you're dead. And that's really powerful. And it's still very powerful internally. Like those forces really mean, it's basically like the oldest evolutionary force that makes all of us. And the act of putting yourself out there every day is a daily, what would you say? It's like a daily mastery of the survival mechanisms that don't actually serve you anymore. And so, yeah, write every day, totally. But if you don't publish it, it doesn't count. And that's, I think, a really important thing that I've done for years and years and years. And drop by drop, drop by drop, it fills the bucket. Everything that you put out there, even if you don't think people are reading it, they are. And it's just something that I think is important that passes a lot of people by. Yeah, they are or they will, right? Like, I mean, you can write a blog post and then maybe six months from now, someone finds it and shares it or whatever. I think that's, I wrote a blog post in like 2010 about like setting up, it was like quick filters or something in Gmail that is to this day my top performing blog post. Yeah, so I mean, you're right, absolutely. If you don't publish, it doesn't count. I think that's funny because I tell people the same thing about, they're like, how do you get comfortable in front of the microphone, in front of the camera? And I'm like, you just kind of you have to record. I know that's a really annoying answer, but like the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll be. And so I gave listeners an out by saying you don't have to record, but you should do what Tim does and publish. Also, I want to touch on this because, again, this is the second time a little behind-the-scenes stuff. People are going to be hearing this for like four weeks now because I recorded the next month of podcast interviews today. In another interview that's coming out in a few weeks, we also touched on this fear of being ridiculed, right? The way he put it was like, you want to have provocative opinions that stand out. They're going to help you stand out. I said like probably in like mid-2020, I got like real gun shy about posting anything on social media, right? Because this was like the height of like, say the wrong thing and you're canceled. It felt like, and even though I'm really direct most of the time, I'm a New York Italian. We just always say how we're feeling. I feel like I internalized that and I'm finally just coming around to, no, I should have like provocative opinions, right? I certainly don't care if I get ridiculed, but like I kind of was worried about getting like dragged on Twitter, which I guess is the same thing, right? And so... I'm really glad you brought that up. I feel like it's going to be like a recurring theme for the summer. Probably. Yeah. And there's a lot of nuance there because Twitter especially, I'm, I'm less and less excited about Twitter. I don't even know 
how many of these people are people? I don't think a lot of them. Seriously, I, I'm starting to think there's like multi-million dollar troll farms where there's just hundreds and thousands of people that do nothing but reply to stuff just to make people angry. I'm really, really careful about that. But the only reason why I say that is because I think it's important to make the distinction between having an opinion and being provocative. And this is something that I've recently just learned. My wife was talking about it in one of her, um, it was a class that she was in, maybe it was a psychology class or something, but she talked about the half-life of anger and tribalism and about how much more longevity there is in positive affirmation and in positive service where it's pretty easy to get quick dopamine hits and to get, I mean, in the 2023 version, we'd say go viral. It's pretty easy to do that by making people angry, but it's a very bad strategy. And so I guess it's just semantics now, whether we're talking about being provocative, I suppose there's a difference in being provocative than just being a dick. And like, I think being provocative as a strategy, like I'm going to intentionally be provocative because I I want people to notice me. I don't think that makes any sense because people are going to forget about you really quickly. And it's true that people don't forget the way that you made them feel. Why would you want to make people feel a way about your work that is going to disincentivize them to buy from you? Like I'm an entrepreneur. And I say that as almost a separator where I don't view myself as a creator. And if you do view yourself as a creator, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that one of the things that I learned from Copyblogger is that your content isn't your product. Your content is your marketing for your product or for your service. And so creating content for the sake of creating content, where like, this is what I created, look at it. That's not something that I've ever done. And if you want your content to be the product, you have to be a little bit provocative because that's like the best way to get the content itself spread, right? But if the things that I create are actually a mechanism of trust and a mechanism of not just good feelings, you know, like like a connection, let's call it, then that's like a much, much better way to build a business. And I've always stuck to that way. And I don't think I'm going to be very... Hey there, I want to tell you about Sensei. Sensei is the original solution for creating and selling online courses with WordPress, and it's back and better than ever. As a course creator with Sensei, you get complete ownership over your content and the freedom to customize as much as you need. Sensei has vastly improved the course creation experience, adding a customizable distraction-free mode, video and lesson progression, powerful reporting, and a full set of interactive content blocks. And those blocks, like flashcards, image hotspots, and interactive videos, can be added to any page or post, not just the courses. The goal of Sensei is to make it effortless for course creators to develop personalized instruction for learners. And while Sensei is free to start, you can save 20% on Sensei Pro, allowing you to charge for courses, drip out content, manage groups and cohorts, and leverage new AI tools. Just go to howibuilt.it slash Sensei to have the discount automatically applied. 
That's how I built dot it slash S E N S E I. Hey, real quick before we get back into the episode, I want to tell you about my free newsletter, Podcast Workflows. If you are wondering how I can successfully run this show, plus two other shows, plus run a business, plus run three children, Podcast Workflows is for you. You will get weekly emails with behind the scenes look on how I produce this show experiments I am trying with other podcasts, and general advice to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. You'll also have the opportunity to become a member and get ad-free extended episodes of this show as well as bonus content. You can do all of that over at podcastworkflows.com slash join. That's podcastworkflows.com slash join. Sign up for free today. Very famous, but I, I think I'll be pretty wealthy. I've heard this put in a few different ways, right? One is like, in two hundred years, people are going to remember Bill Gates, but they're not going to remember Steve Jobs, which, like, right now feels like heresy, right? Because like Steve Jobs is a hero, but like Steve Jobs is a within our lifetime hero who didn't do a lot of outward philanthropy. I'm not saying he didn't do any, but Bill Gates does a lot more outward philanthropy, and so like that will be the name that people remember. And again, I know that's like heresy to like the Apple tech people, and I'm really sorry, but it's probably true. PCs are better. What's that? I said PCs are better. Oh, dang. That's provocative. (laughs) But again, let's look at, I'll try to keep it bipartisan here, but like Bill O'Reilly, switching bills now, fired in disgrace from Fox News, gone. The biggest name in television, basically, gone. Keith Olbermann, not quite the biggest name, but pretty similar, right? Like he was fired in disgrace from multiple places, but most recently MSNBC. People aren't really talking about Keith Olbermann anymore. And more recently, like Tucker, right? I haven't heard about Tucker since he's been fired, really. He tried launching the Twitter show. He was regularly trending on Twitter for what he said on national television. So like, I think you're absolutely right. Like Tucker's going to have his little Twitter show. He'll probably start a podcast. He'll be fine for himself because he stoked anger in enough people. But like you said, he's a provocateur. When he stops provoking people, he doesn't have anything anymore. Yeah. And so I'm not disagreeing with you. Like it's important to stand for something. It's like Tupac said, right? If you won't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Like be about something. Totally. When people ask me about social media, like I'm not about social media. I want to get everything I can out of social media and I want to give nothing to it. You're not getting any of my money. I'm going to take and take and take everything I can from social media. And I'm about doing real writing for real people, which means by proxy, like I'm against short-term dopamine hits. And so like I stand for something. It's not to say that you cower away from conflict, maybe. It's not about that. It's just being provocative as a strategy to be known. It's a really terrible... And it's stressful. Like, it's stupid. You know, why would I actually want to live my life that way? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's like people who argue with people on Twitter all day, right? I had a friend who, like, every time Donald Trump tweeted, he would, like, tweet something not nice, I guess, to put it lightly, at him. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, this is such a way... Why do you even follow him if he annoys you that much? Like, it's just not worth it, right? Like, my friend would watch political shows of people he hated. And I'm like, why? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, stop. You're so mad for no reason right now. Like, so I fully agree, right? There's a difference between 
again, let's go back to my editing your podcast comment, right? I want podcasters to have good shows that grow. And most podcasters need to edit their podcast because of it, right? I'm not saying like, if you don't edit your podcast, you're stupid, right? That's provocative. If you really want to put time and effort into your podcast, it needs to be edited. Most people don't just want the raw conversation or it at least needs to be prepped, right? Like, so your recent episode where you guys did like breakdowns of landing pages, which I really enjoyed. Oh, cool. I didn't know you listened to the show. Thank you. Oh yeah, totally. I don't know if that was edited, but it was certainly prepared, right? Like you didn't just go, oh, let's find some stuff to talk about. Like you had, Eric, is that your co-host's name? Ethan. Ethan. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it was edited. Of course it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, cool. So that's like, I was like fishing to make sure I wasn't just like insulting you to your face, I guess. No, are you kidding me? Do you know how many times I screw up <laughs> doing it? Like I screw up all the time. There's plenty of times where my editor's name is Isaac. And so can I curse on your show? Sure. Okay. So like if we're doing something and I fuck up, I'm like, oh shit, Isaac, I fucked up. And then like, <laughs> I'll just say the timestamp and I'll be like, edit here. Okay, here we go. And then like, I'll put him back in. So. Of course I edit. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear, oh, can we start over again? But my goal is to make the best show possible. So I'm going to edit. Yeah, for sure. And like, so, you know, again, it's this is maybe Wes Kayo said this is like a spiky point of view. Maybe that's the better way to put it is people who say my listeners want to hear the raw conversation are being lazy. Like they just don't want to put the time into editing. And so they've convinced themselves that they don't need to edit. But again, that's different from saying like, hey, you're a dumb person, right? <laughs> or whatever. Like anybody who edits is terrible or who doesn't edit is terrible. Man, this is great. I want to end with potentially another spiky point of view here because the other thing that you broke down in your CEX talk was your email sequences, right? And I follow like Jason Resnick. He has like a really complicated welcome sequence. He's a good friend of mine. He's great. I follow Rob and Kennedy from Email Marketing Heroes. Super smart guys. Like obviously they're killing it. They know what they're doing. But I tried implementing their process probably like at my scale. And I don't think it's working for me, right? It's clearly not because I'm not selling something to my email list every day, like which is what it seems like they're doing. Whereas your email sequence, again, like really spoke people sign up. They get a little like, what is it, a couple emails, welcome sequence, one email, welcome sequence. And then it's like, hey, I have a membership. You should buy it if you like it, right? Basically, <laughs> yeah. So maybe you could talk us through that in like in a better way than I just talked through it because I was doing it from memory. Kind of talk about like why you're doing it that way, like why you don't have this giant Rube Goldberg machine of personalization like we're apparently told we're supposed to have. That's an interesting question. No one's ever said that to me before. There's three things. Well, like most people... And I'm not saying this is bad by any means. I'm always happy to have this conversation, but my journey is a little bit unique in like my past and stuff. And so I think people gravitate a little bit more towards that as opposed to some of the technical stuff that I've learned along the way. But I think the technical stuff is really fun. And I'll tell you why I think it's really fun. And that's because I like money. And I do all of this because I want to make money. And I don't do all of this because I want to make stuff, like making stuff for me. I would make stuff anyway as a hobby, but that's a hobby. You know, so for instance, I'm like pretty into Muay Thai. I've done martial arts for years and years and years and I really love it. And I'm not going to turn that into a business because that is just an art for me that I get to share with other people. right? But if I am doing something as part of my business, there's one goal 
I don't care about anything else other than the money that it made. And I have found that people who are overcomplicating it are almost getting in the way of their money. And I've done that, but I don't want to do it. It didn't work for me. And so here's what I have to say. One, I'm a good salesperson and I became a good salesperson by being a good copywriter. And it's not something that is easy and it takes a long time and it takes a lot of practice. And like you said, how do you get good? Hit record. Like it's repetitions. I don't think people spend enough time on repetitions and appreciating repetitions. And I've done a ton of reps on sales copy, a ton of reps on sales email, and I'm decent at it. You know, I don't think anybody... The people that say they're good copywriters, right? It's almost like martial arts. Like you don't fear the person that says that they're good. You know, you fear the person that like doesn't say anything, right? So I try to always be open to learning new stuff, but copy is a numbers game and my numbers are where I'm happy with them. And so there's that. And also from the simplicity point of view, this was kind of another copy blogger thing that I really, really took to heart. So don't let me get too into the weeds here, but Copy Blogger, when I bought it, and for the majority of its life, was nothing but a website. The business of Copy Blogger was actually a bunch of different products that the blog of Copy Blogger drove attention to. And so it's content marketing. People would read Copy Blogger, they sign up for the email list, and then people would use the email list to sell some of the products. And one of those products was a, a website theme store called Studio Press. Really, really famous, really groundbreaking. The way that it's structured with Genesis and like parent and child themes and stuff. Anybody who's a WordPress nerd. Yeah, I loved it. I still use it. My personal blog is still on Studio Press. Is it the authority theme? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at it. I'm like, this looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it is. But nonetheless, one of the keystones of Studio Press back in the day was simple things don't break. And I just... When I read that, I remember exactly where I was when I read it. I was like, damn, that is so freaking true. I mean, what stands the test of time, right? Like wheels do pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> so much so that people even say, don't reinvent the wheel, right? Like it's like been around forever and doesn't need fixing. Yeah. It doesn't need fixing. Yeah, exactly. And it just saves my mental bandwidth. It saves the sophistication that I get pretty confused with. I'm like smart, I guess, right? But I'm not overly smart. And I get just as tripped up trying to untangle these email sequence webs as anybody else does, right? And so I have bypassed the sequencing game with the specificity game. If you sign up for Copyblogger, there's only one thing you're interested in. And if you don't like that one thing, then there's really no difference in me creating a bunch of sequences and sub niches because why would I do that? You didn't like the one thing that you were here for in the first place, so it's not for you. And the same is true with my agency. If you go to Stadzi, there's only one reason that you would be to that website. And if my five-day sales sequence didn't convince you to book a sales call with me, then you were never going to book a sales call in the first place. I guess in a way, it's kind of six to one, half dozen to the other, or whatever the expression is, right? Because like hour for hour, it probably takes me just as much time in that I've created more brands than I think I needed to if I were like better 
at sequencing and being sophisticated and having multiple audiences under one brand, right? But me and my compartmentalized brain, I just, I like things when everything fits in its own little drawer, when I can just label things and be like, okay, this goes there. And so I've created a lot of websites. And each one of those websites is a very, very specific audience. And each one of those audiences only gets a specific offer. And if they don't like that offer, then they were never going to buy it because the only reason why they would be in the website in the first place is to check out the offer at least. I'm not even saying I'm right. It's just what's worked for me and I'm not changing it. I'm sticking with it. And I think it's really smart, right? Because again, like we hear niche down, niche down, make sure you really know who you're talking to, right? And again, going back to my crazy sequence, I had, I think it was five or six different paths. Once they went through my welcome sequence, it's like, have you launched your podcast? Have you pod faded? Do you want to improve your process? Do you want to make money? Are you not interested in podcasting at all? And then I'm like, these are all different audiences, right? I want to help brands launch their podcast, but they're probably not joining my mailing list. I want to help podcasters improve their workflow. So like that's, I got rid of it all. And I'm like, you're here because you're spending too much time on your podcast. I think if that's not true, here's a big old unsubscribe button. I think that's just so, it gives you clarity, right? On who you want to talk to. And now this was, I'll just say straight up, right? Usually I do a pro version of this show for members. I'm really enjoying this conversation. So I'm going to make this entire episode free for all listeners. The benefit of signing up for the pro show is getting it ad free. So if you don't want to hear like the ads in the middle that you've probably already heard at this point, you can sign up at casabona.org slash join. But something that you mentioned at CEX, somebody asked you like, why do you have two different ConvertKit accounts when you could tag people differently based on the signup form? You said like, well, one is your personal brand, one is not. I thought that was a really smart answer, right? So like, I mean, the idea was one of those brands you might be able to sell, right? And you don't want to tie to your personal account. I've spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to have a personal brand. There's one side of me that wants to roll my eyes at it because it's just so gimmicky. But there's the other side of me that's like, no, we have to take this seriously because the more and more work long tails, then the more of an individual business every person is. And that's not necessarily a marketing gimmick. That's like a reality of the world economy these days, right? And so like, you have to actually take that seriously. You have to understand that who you are means something. And a great quote that I heard that I always stuck with is, it's not about what you know, and it's not even about who you know, it's about who knows you. And that is your personal brand. Like who knows you? And if they know you, do they know of you? And if they know of you, do they have a way to interact with you digitally, whatever that means. In my case, usually a newsletter. And so that sounds great. The problem is people are really complicated. And like when someone say like, what's your personal brand about? I'd be like, well, I don't know. I write about martial arts. I write about trying to figure out how to be a dad. I write about traveling. And we live in Denver now and the mountains are very new to me. I've skateboarded my entire life. I have this badass electric skateboard in my office. I write about that sometimes. I write about obviously business and work and money, but like trying to answer what is your personal brand? It's like trying to say, who are you? I don't fucking know. I'm Tim. You know, like, what do you want me to say? I'm Tim, right? Your personal brand from a technical standpoint 
Ethan and I just did a, a show on this actually, where we really, really thought about it. It's like an opportunity machine for you. It's a digital networking tool. It's a way the more people who know you, the more opportunities come to you. And I've really transitioned my thinking to that way. Whereas Copyblogger isn't that. Copyblogger is a standalone brand within itself that isn't connected to anybody emotionally. Sure, people might know me, but it's kind of just the same version of that question where people say like, oh, who's Tim? Oh, Tim owns Copyblogger, right? Tim isn't Copyblogger. Tim owns Copyblogger. And I think it's better that way because... Like I said, it just helps me compartmentalize things where if I'm doing something, I know exactly like what I'm doing it for and who I'm doing it for. But it makes it a lot easier to separate the two mentally, emotionally, and financially. If Copyblogger isn't part of my life one day, it's not because I gave up a piece of myself. It's because I gave up a brand. And I think it's a much better business decision that way, just as much as it is a better personal decision, because that shit gets weird. You know, it really does. It gets weird. People blend the two. And I've seen people lose sight of the separation between who they are and how they make their money. And that's that's not a good place to be. I don't want to go there. Yeah, that's tough. And then like from the other end, right? It's like you could, I mean, I remember, so like Pat Flynn has spent the last few years kind of untangling himself from SPI, right? Like, Pat was SPI for a long time. And then like when I signed up for the community for a while, like I noticed that like Pat was never there. And that made me not want to renew. Like I kind of signed up to, you know, get some time with Pat. And it makes perfect sense from his point of view. Like he has other stuff he's doing and it's grown to a point where like he can't possibly manage it himself by himself. And it shouldn't just be him anymore. But there are some growing pains there, right? Because for a lot of early followers, I assume, like SPI was Pat Flynn and Pat Flynn was SPI. And now it's a community, but it's like a dangerous line you walk, right? Where like you could be so tangled with the brand that it negatively impacts you or it negatively impacts the business. And then, I mean, from a practical standpoint, right? Like I think about this all the time. Like if someone said, would you sell this podcast? Like if the right offer came and I was like, I'm like, well, I can't say no or yes to some theoretical number, right? Like I'd have to see the number and see how it makes me feel. But like from a due diligence standpoint, it would be an absolute nightmare. Like all of my books are mixed, right? Like income from the podcast is just Joe's income. Anybody who signed up for the mailing list just signed up for my mailing list and not like how I built its mailing list or whatever. So like, I mean, doing it that way just makes the due diligence part a lot easier as well. Agreed. Totally. The thing about that is you don't realize that it's going to be a problem until one day it's a problem. Most people don't go into starting a business going like, I'm probably going to sell this, right? Unless they're like seeking venture capital, right? Because then it's like you either go public or you sell. But like if some guy's just starting a business, he's probably not like, oh, maybe I'll sell this one day. Until the problem comes and you're like, oh, I really wish I did this before. So I've, I mean, look, it's not like some huge insight I've had. I experienced it and I learned my lesson and I'll, I'll never make that mistake again. For sure. This was like, Pippin Williamson, do you, you know of Pippin? Pippin's plugins. He did like affiliate WP and easy digital downloads, but um, he came on the show years ago. And like, he's the first person who like really crystallized that in my head. He's like, oh, every plugin has different bookkeeping. Like, what if I want to sell one? And I'm like, dang, that's really, you are so much smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> Just more experience. Yeah. Tim, this has been great. I want to mention one more thing because you mentioned the, 
fighters, right? The guy who says he's such a good fighter versus the guy who doesn't say anything. I have a personal friend who experienced that. Like he was like ready to, he wanted to fight this guy so bad. And the guy was like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. He's like, come on, bring it on. And then like he like swung at the guy and the guy just like kicked the out of him. Just like so hard. Turns out he was like a black belt in some form of martial arts. And he just didn't want to fight. Like he knew what would happen. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you got to slow your roll. Like he's not worth it at that point. Like you don't know who you're fighting. Yeah, and I have a little bit of a theory about that as well. Because in order to get good at something, like being good at anything is so humbling. In the case of martial arts, it's extra humbling just because it's like very primal. Like there's a person that could kill me and you have to actually just admit it, you know, like, okay, this person would kill me. I have to be okay with that. And it's hard, but in anything in life, the process of getting good at it is just so painful that I think it's like cleansing. And then I think that process of being cleansed of the burden makes it so that you actually don't even care if people know that you're good at it anymore. I don't know. I guess that's a little bit like philosophical, but I've thought about that a lot with all the noise that you see and all the people that say like, I know exactly how to do this. Like, listen to me. This is the way to do it. This is what it has to do with our conversation. I I observe that a lot on the banter on social media. And every time I see that, the first thing I think of is like, this person hasn't actually been cleansed through pain of failure. Because how could they be? Because if they failed enough times, they would actually know that there's no one right way to do anything. And that their way was just their way. And if they knew that, they wouldn't be so eager to tell people how to do something. Rather, they would do, which is what I believe, which is share their experience. So maybe it comes around full circle. It's actually a bigger conversation. That's why I think martial arts is just so good because it's the fast track to learning that painful life lesson that everybody inevitably gets to and some people just get to it much quicker than others and I think they're much happier than others. Yeah, for sure. They've proved through pain and so they don't need to tell people, right? They don't need to scream, know how good I am, know how smart I am, right? I mean, there's a lot of ways it's been put, right? Like Teddy Roosevelt speaks awfully and carry a big stick. Like my high school's motto was non vox sed votum, not words, but deeds, right? And that sticks with me all the time. Like, and so I don't need to tell people like, this is the one right way to do this. I'll tell you what I've done. And if you think I can help you, I can help you. And I think that's a much better way to live your life because then you don't have this chip on your shoulder. You're like, you need to always prove yourself. Yeah. And you're not insecure. Well, it's not that you're not insecure, right? It's just everybody has insecurities. It's just the contentedness that comes from learning lessons the real way makes it so that you don't actually care if anybody thinks that you're right or not. And it's just like this strange life paradox. It's kind of one of those things where you're a dad now and you turn into a dad. You're like, man, my dad was right about so much. And you know, (laughs) and like I can just picture trying to tell my son about the stupid things he's going to do. And I'm like, I don't know how to explain this to you. And I know you're not going to listen to me because you're just like dumb and you haven't gotten the shit kicked out of you yet. And I love you anyway. But man, I'm going to laugh so hard in the same way that my dad is laughing now. When you come to me 20 years from now, I'm like, oh, dad, you were right about so much. There's like this really cruel joke that the universe plays where they just don't make it possible 
to listen to your dad, right? And it's kind of life's way of doing that. It's like, well, you're not going to listen to me even though I'm trying to teach you these lessons everywhere. So you know what? Just figure it out by yourself and go through all this pain. And then after the fact, you'll be like, oh, I was right all along. My dad has said to me like, oh, I remember when I was a teenager and knew everything. And I like, my daughter's six and I just laid that line on her because like she's, I was telling my parents, I'm like, she's just like, she has opinions on everything and she thinks she's always right. And she's always got something to say. And they just start laughing because I just described myself too. I'm like, dang, (laughs) brutal. I know. I just like roasted myself inadvertently, which is crazy. Tim, this has been so much fun. Uh, We've been talking for an hour now. I want to respect your time, but I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope those of you who have listened, who got all of the extra bits also enjoyed it as well. But Tim, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? My website, timstods.com, T-I-M-S-T-O-D-Z.com. I send out a newsletter every Friday and uh, people like it. So I hope you will too. Awesome. I will link to that and everything we talked about over in the show notes at howibuilt.it slash 323 howibuilt.it slash 323 find all the links more about our sponsors sign up for pro I'll also link to authority pro while you were talking I did I checked the source and I confirmed that it's authority pro I don't know if you know that I was a WordPress developer for like 20 years before I moved into podcasting yeah I worked for like crowd favorite and all that stuff like so yeah so very different turn from WordPress development to podcast coaching but Tim, thanks so much for spending some time with me and the listeners today. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Hi, bro. Yeah, talk soon. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And until next time, get out there and build something. 